Hey there, folks. What do you know? It's the Uticast episode 250, a milestone episode, and because of which, we did something a little fun. Kevin and I doing part one of our oral history, I guess you could call it, of our time together as a band in both Coercion and the Blueprint. Part one, featuring all of the music, is here today, starting right now. Happy anniversary, guys. Episodes of the Uticast. Mm-hmm, here we are. Here we are. I guess it's not really an anniversary. I think I forget. I always do the numbers wrong on this. It's not our five-year anniversary no. because it's we're like 10, 12 weeks away from that or mm-hmm. whatever it is. But it is nice to hit a round. It's a nice round number. Nice round number. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is still uh, just Kevin and myself. Justin is not here. I told him he didn't mm-hmm. have to come in this week after two weeks of service. Plus, mm-hmm. I, you know. I love Justin. I've seen a lot of Justin over the last couple of days with WrestleMania mm. and me being home a lot. Mm. <laughs> so I figured that's okay. He can he can take a week off from doing the pod. But we appreciate him coming in. Definitely. And helping us last week to determine. Well, it's going to be going this way for a while. So, I mean, we'll take all the help we can get. Yeah, it's a good you point. Know, you said to me before we went on, you were like, oh, yeah, you know, I don't know what to do this week because for this week and, like, next week for a guest. And, like, we're not, guests aren't going to be back in two weeks. Yeah, guests weeks. aren't coming back in two weeks. Yeah, no right. chance. Yeah. I have to start doing quarantine interviews with folks. Yeah, I thought about that too. I'm going to start trying to now that I have a little bit more spare time, based on some information that I found out. Um, oh, what'd you find out? Oh, about just the way that like the certification stuff is going because of the the COVID stuff. It's the teaching certification process is slowing down because there's not really doing anything. Because yeah, nobody's doing because no one's doing anything, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, the idea that I had to get as much stuff done as I could in the next like three weeks. I still do, but not quite not as in, yet. not not the way I once did. I remember, honestly, even when it started and they stopped with the schools and you were talking about, like, yeah. well, you know, we got this time and I got to get this work. I'm like, you're not going back to school. It's weird because there's definitely, most teachers I've talked to mm-hmm. seem pretty, pretty consciously aware that we're not going back to yeah. school. Yeah, no chance. But no one can say that. You can't say it because most people, technically, we're still going back to school on sure. June 1st or whatever, or April 30, whatever, whatever day, sure. theoretically, they have written down, sure. but I don't, I don't see how it's going to happen. No, no, no. no. Um, we haven't really done traditional episode the last two weeks, and we're not going to no. do one again this week. Oh, uh, no. No. Oh, no. Uh, we're going to do sort of something, something I've been sort of thinking about doing for a long time. Just what is this? Of, we're going to do a brief oral history of our time as uh, musicians together. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I didn't know all what right, to call all right, it. All right, all right. I was going to call it the oral history of coercion, but it's just a terrible name. I don't think it counts as an oral history. You've got to have more people, and they've got to be like telling story in direct format. We are telling a direct story that we were involved yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, but no, no. It's a whole different They chop oh, it up. No. They chop it up. It's all narrative. <laughs> so what I think we'll do here, and this will probably take us two weeks, I think. Oh, okay. I think it will, because what we'll do okay. is uh, I have collected five songs from our early career the coercion slash early blueprint period of our career. That terrifies me. It does. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll listen to those this week. And it Ooh. will 
and we'll go through some of those. And I have some broad music-based questions talking about our how we all sort of got started in, roped in, both individually and as a group, into love of live music performance. Okay. Um, and then we'll break into a couple of these songs, and we'll talk about why they're important to us and what they meant when we wrote them, and then you folks can hear them. And then next week we'll get into why we're no longer playing in that band and the things that sort of led to the end and what we learned. Sure. Yeah. Uh, not as exciting as you'll see on Behind the Music, a lot more sad. That's then not you'll all see, sad. But why we're not playing. Like, it's all sad. It's not like, oh, yeah, we <laughs> yeah. got in fights and somebody couldn't hang and we're doing too much mm. boozing. No, no. No, <laughs> that. Uh, so, so and like I said, I just want to make this point pretty clear. I do have a lot of the music here. We have a lot of music going all the way back. Mm-hmm. We wish we had more music. There is some music from our earliest days of performing. From if bands. we've got some time before next week, I can do some digging, and I might be able yeah. to find your first band, Jinxed. Jinxed. I do have a CD yeah. demo kicking around somewhere where you do a vocal intro. A spoken word intro yes, that is on the correct. EP where you're like, hey, everybody, it's Swingin' Sammy. <laughs> That's right. These are the sounds <laughs> of the band Jinx, the hey. new up-and-coming punk band. Yeah. That was the best part of the album, actually. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> that whole goofy intro. Well. Um, does, that have, does that have your song Coaster on it? Coaster was my first hit. Your first hit, then. What was your first hit? hit? We're gonna, well, we're going to talk about our first good song, which I think is one of the five songs that I have on our list Who, here. our band? Yeah, our I band. I don't think we had one. Uh, so, <laughs> let me give you guys a very quick, brief overview, I guess. Yeah, I'm just here for the ride. I can yeah. tell that I'm in your brain. I'm in your Firefly Funhouse right now, so I'll let you commandeer. Um, so, the band that Kevin and I play and reference all the time was called by two names. When we first started playing together in a band, it was called Coercion. And we'll get there in a second. Kinda. That's right. That, well, that's that band. That band. We played in other bands before that. Sorta. 100%. We went to band practice. We wrote and learned songs. That's well, that's being in the band. I wasn't in Now Hiring Losers. No, but I was in Third and Long with Josiah Dewey. That doesn't count. That counts. That's... You had Anthony Munz's carving guitar. <laughs> that's That's true. where we played Coaster. We played Coaster. It was the only song we were good at. Uh, so, But the band that we're focused primarily on here is the band Coercion, which is the band that Kevin and I historically played in for a long time and became really close friends during our period together. I feel like that was the... Really, the, the key to us becoming really set it in stone. In stone, really we set were it like in this... stone. Yeah, yeah. We were we were on our way, but that was when sure. it really put the mortar. You know yeah, what I mean? uh, and that became our band of the blueprint, which mm-hmm. essentially is the same band. But that was the ish. Switch drummers, switch sound a little bit. Um, change try... mentalities, I think. What's that? We change mentalities. I think our mindset. You and I gained more control over the output and style of the band. Not a ton. We started to wrestle against other personalities. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We're going to talk about so I'm going to step on your content too much. No, no, but... no. You know, there's definitely the struggle, um, the struggle of you know when you've got four to ranging to five sometimes mm-hmm. personalities in a band, and there's not one direct cohesive mm-hmm. leader who's like the main guy. Mm-hmm. You'll always struggle and go back and forth mm-hmm. with your sound because everybody wants to get all their do do all their things. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, now I'm gonna be bad with years. That's the one problem where I'm gonna suffer here. Okay, I'm better at that. Than you you're are. better at than I am. Uh, well, let's start with a broad question. And okay. And this is more about just general music. Kevin, what was the first band for you that really mattered? The band first important that band. mattered. Yeah. Um, for band, Pearl Jam? Pearl Jam, huh? Pearl Jam and Blink-182, the same summer. Same summer. Yeah, Enema of the State and Live on Two Legs. The same summer I was, it was the summer I was going into eighth grade, I think. The summer I was going into eighth, or no, the summer I was going into ninth grade, I think, um, and I started hanging out with Nick Vasali, who would play guitar in this band. Yeah, well, you'll hear that You're a dear friend of the show, um, and he's one of the world's biggest Pearl Jam fans, got mm-hmm. older brothers, loves Pearl Jam, um, 
and he got me into that album because I was hanging out at his house all the time that yeah. summer. And Enema of the State by Blink had just come out that summer, and mm. like it was just on repeat. And those were the first two bands that really, really jumped out and still stuck with me to this day. There was a lot of stuff I was listening to, but those are the first bands where I was like, it, where it, I don't know, meant something, I guess. I remember, actually, because Pearl Jam was one that you guys loved. And I remember, as we get farther on, I spent, spent a lot of time with you boys, um, Pearl Jam was one that I sort of had to go out of my way to like give another chance to, because I came in with Pearl a bad Jam, mentality. Pearl Jam is that kind of band, though. Pearl Jam, like, <laughs> per, Pearl Jam is the type because I I mean my favorite band is Radiohead yeah. now and I'm well aware that Radiohead um, Pearl Jam even more so in some ways but these are the type of bands where mm-hmm. I can see where it would be very easy to get the wrong impression right like if you had only heard four Pearl Jam songs in your life and they were all songs you heard on the classic rock radio station like this isn't for me that's fair enough I hear you I probably don't listen to those songs that much either but there's so much different music and so much different stylistic stuff that we can find the things but it makes sense that somebody would have the wrong idea of Pearl Jam and have to be kind of convinced. I don't remember where we were coming from, but we were in your old Eddie Bauer Ford Explorer. We were driving from somewhere. Shout out. And you were tired. For some reason, we'd either gone overnight somewhere or we had stayed somewhere for a couple of days. Yeah. And you were like, hey, I'm going to, you mind driving? I'll, I'll take it. I'm, I'm exhausted. So you yeah, don't yeah. mind. Mm-hmm. So I basically drove home by myself for the mm-hmm. most part. And I listened to a bunch of Pearl Jam albums in your car because they were in your car. Mm. And I remember being like, one, I know way more of these songs than I give myself you credit think you than do. you yeah, think you yeah, do. Yeah. But I was like, oh, this is pretty good. And I think Pearl Jam was a tougher come around for me than you. But they were important for these bands particularly, especially with Nick, because we yeah. had to... Yeah, yeah. We sort of... I think Nick visioned, envisioned us as some sort of like Pearl Jam type band. He, eyes. for sure. He was, yeah. He was, I mean, he would always want to have songs with like acoustic guitars. Because you, I mean, you forget at the time, you know, and it's fallen off linearly a little bit, I guess. But like... You forget, like, a lot of other bands he was into. Like, he loved the Goo Dolls. Oh, he loved Goo Matchbox Dolls. 20. And he loved, <laughs> you know, like, a lot of that stuff. Like, he was genuinely, like, big music for him. Yeah. And he really enjoyed. And it was always balancing that. And then we kind of fought against that Pearl Jam thing the whole time we had the band. Because all the scenes that were available for us to play in, like, the, the punk scenes and the pop punk scenes, and we were in that band, mm. um, didn't didn't have any love for any kind of Pearl Jam type shit at all. No, that's true. You know what I mean? To the point where like we'd catch some flack, you know what I mean? From And that was idiots. And that comes from the next point I was gonna say, because like we we the punk thing sort of came up right around the perfect time for us, I think. Sort of falling into like the Blink eighty two sort of vibes. Like I I loved those moments of our lives. Oh of course. Um I look back at it like a little bit like, ah, what was I doing with that outfit? Now I look back in hindsight, but just the sheer you were killing it at the time. But you were in your prime. With the idea you were in your like, prime. I felt like we were part of something at that time. For that, sure. That I think everyone does when well, you come up in that. I was I was gonna say I, I wonder how much of it is just being that age. That like seventeen, eighteen to like twenty two, twenty three, that mm-hmm. age range. I, I would be willing to bet that even if you don't play music and play in bands and you're not part of a scene, you're not playing shows, you're not doing whatever, you still feel that way about that time mm-hmm. in your life, I bet. Mm-hmm. I know, that's totally true. I think you're totally right. And let's start here, too, because I want to get into uh, Now Hiring Losers, which will be the segue into our first song here of the show. Mm. Um, what made you want to play music in the first place? And I ask this because we've been friends for so many years You've been playing bass for about as long as I can remember, since maybe even before I knew you. Since we've been friends, for sure, yeah. But um, I don't remember you ever saying, like, oh, I'm going to pick up the bass. Like, you were playing it from before yeah, yeah, I we, knew we you. Weren't, yeah, yeah, we weren't really friends. We became friends at the same time I was becoming a bass player, or became aware of one another, I'll say. So what um, sort of 
what drew you to the bass? Because I never really asked you that specifically. Sure. So before um, before I started hanging out with Vesalia that summer, I listened to like, Live <laughs> on Two Legs, and he would always have stuff in the three disc changer. We had like two hundred CDs, and we listened to tons of music. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I crammed music. There's still songs I listen to today that remind yeah. me of sleeping Nick Vesalia's bunk beds in his bedroom mm-hmm. at his old house that nobody in his family lives at anymore. Um, but so back then, before that, the kids I grew up with in Utica, um, hanging out in the neighborhood playing basketball and stuff, I listened to like a lot of rap music. Seventh grade and a lot of eighth grade was dominated by rap music. And I listened to, you know, I like Biggie and Tupac and Puff Daddy, as people did at the time, and Mace yeah, yeah. and like all that kind of stuff. Um, and because I started hanging out with Nick, I started getting more into rock music. And I never disliked it, but it was never like, yeah. you know, it was just never my favorite. All the kids I grew up with in my neighborhood listened to rap music. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was hanging out with him. He was showing me all these different bands. And he was getting a guitar. He got a guitar for Christmas. Um, this kid, uh, Fred, Fred, you know, used to be Fred Mel, Fred Flo now. Got a guitar for Christmas that year. This uh, idiot that I used to know, Ryan Sunderland, got a guitar that year. I used to hang out with. But like a lot of people like that were starting to get guitars and starting to play in bands. And part of it was wanting to be a part of it. I wanted to be a drummer. And I was like, oh, man, I'd really like to play the drums. And I used to be like, yeah, it's going to be cool when we all learn our instruments. I'm going to be the drummer. But drums are expensive. Yes, they are. Um, and drums are loud. And there's no way to play them quietly and learn. And my friend, uh, this kid who you know you certainly know, Brandon Ada, who played in a metal band at the time, was selling a bass his starter bass for a hundred bucks and the sound of the bass always stuck out to me i was like bass i was like low end i always noticed I, i'll never forget in the song basket case by green day oh yeah after the whole band comes in and they're playing before they really drop in like the first full band verse mm-hmm. the second verse of the song and mike dirt the bass player from green day hits that mm-hmm. yeah, right yeah, there. yeah yeah yep that oh, noise yeah. i was like what's so, that i want to do that and so that's what pulled <laughs> me into it but the bass was just being sold uh cheaper mm-hmm. than you know, it was, it was only 100 bucks, which I had at the time when I was uh, probably 14, whatever it was, and I never looked back to drums. Uh, it's Still inter- can't really play the drums. It's interesting, too, because I feel like I failed at drum at instruments immediately and then came back around to That's it. how it works, though. Like, you're yeah. not... It's rare for somebody to pick up an instrument and be great at it in the first well, year or two. Well, because I picked up saxophone True. in... Elementary school. I played saxophone in like fifth grade and yeah, yeah. sixth grade and through middle school and through high school. And I was okay at it. Right. But I didn't love it. Like I didn't like no. practicing. I didn't like having to like sit home and like work on some track that we had to do for the show that I didn't like. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Uh, and it, but I will say that probably did give me some, some upside. Just the yeah, idea there's, of counting. Yeah, there's definitely right? some building counting. blocks to counting time, rhythm, you know, your meter, mm-hmm. like different stuff like that. How things flow together. I don't know how conscious you were of the notes when you were playing no, the sax, no, no, but no. I, I was. How did you play it? Oh, saxophone. You mean? Yeah. Oh, you meant guitar? Because I'm thinking. I'm I looking, figured that yeah, would like yeah, tra- yeah. that, but that translates. No. So you know, if you're playing like a C over F on saxophone, you know that C and F have that relationship yeah. on a guitar as well. You yeah. know what I mean? Or like whatever C and G, whatever um, it might be. I forget what I don't remember. I don't know what a guitar is in, which shows you my. So uh, saxophones were G, so they were tuned to G. If oh, I, I don't know. I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't remember. That. Yeah. Um, so we used to have to. That was always your root note. So if you ever wonder why my root note is always G on everything, it's because it was where I would play with saxophones. The note I'm the most comfortable. That's with. the third fret on the heaviest string. It's nice and it's, easy. It's nice and easy. Uh, but my early music career, like I bought an, my parents got me an acoustic guitar because I asked for it. And then I kind of didn't play it. Was like, I was bugging my dad for drums, and he was like, mm, nah, nah. <laughs> and and I'll give him a shout-out to another kid whose name we'll mention very quickly here, and then you won't hear again for the rest of this podcast, probably. Uh, Bill Brokell, a really mm-hmm. underratedly important musical figure in my life. Bill was my first sort of, like, musical confidant. First guy was... you were in a band with, yeah, yeah. Your first, first buddy who you were playing, playing music. 
And we were both very sad, emotional kids at the time. And I'm, I'm yeah, sure yeah. the Bill's doing great now. He's killing it. I see him on the For internet. For sure, all yeah. Time. But I mean, as us, as we all were, like, we, there's a reason it birthed the genre at the time. You yeah. know what I mean? We commiserated in like wanting to be like young men who felt a little sad and lonely with the world around us, felt a little different. This was our way. A little mad. To... Your parents are divorced. Like, yeah. The girl that you like at school is not giving you the attention you'd um, like to get. Yeah, all that. But those were all during my failed band experiences. That would essentially be the band Jinxed. I don't know if that stuff even counts as failed band experiences. That's just what happens when you're 15 or 16. You play with kids, you call it a band, but it's not really a failed band experiment. Well, at that time, and I guess this is a good segue into this song, and we'll talk a little more about it. This time, I was at this point in time totally jealous and wanted to be our good friend Pat, who was playing in a more reputable band at the time around here, a band called Now Hiring Losers. Yes. Which were you playing in at this time? I was. At what were you at? Well, I mean, I don't know what time. When you say this time, I don't know what you mean in your head when you say that. Sure. Um, it all kind of mixes together. Yeah, yeah I, well, I'm, I just, I don't know which time. When you say this time, I don't know which time you're referring when to. When I was in Jinx, you were in Now Hiring Losers. I think so. Yeah. No, because I was in your band um, third first. And long, I was yeah. in Third and Long before I was in Now Hiring Losers. Pat... That was another one. I started becoming good friends with still dear friend to this day, Pat Drace. Mm-hmm. And we'd be talking and we played on like the same basketball team, like CYO yeah. basketball team. We'd be hanging out. We'd talk on the internet about like music we liked and bands and getting into stuff. And I started hanging out with like yeah. you know the kids in his band. And I would go see his bands that he was playing with at the time, like his band Sambuca. And then I would yeah. go see, you know, he started Now Hiring Losers, which was like this pop punk band, like the full thing. I mean, blink to the max, right? Mm-hmm. Like Hurley t-shirts and Dickie shorts and backwards hats and skate yeah. shoes and the whole thing. And playing, you know, pop punk, new fun, glory, all that. And then I got asked to be in that band. Um, and I left because I was playing third and long with you. And it was kind of like a side thing. I didn't really have a band. I yeah. wasn't playing with Vasali at that time at all. I don't even know if he had a band at that point. Um, and, yeah, I just kind of went. And they, Pat was like, you know, we finally... It became one of those things where I was hanging out with him, like, every day. Mm-hmm. And we were best friends. And he had a bass player in his band that he didn't like. They didn't like. He wasn't yep. very good. It was a whole yep. thing. And so it kind of... He wasn't forced out, per se, but the writing was very, very, very on the wall. Yeah. And the first time I played with them, they were all like, oh, yeah, totally. But the drummer was really good friends with the bass player. So it was the thing. It's like, we don't want to push this bass player out and lose also this drummer because then what are we going to do? You know what I mean? But so eventually, yeah, I got in that band and I was playing with them. And I remember you were jealous. You wanted to be in that band. Well, I remember. You'd come up on stage at shows sometimes and sing like a cover. You do <laughs> Hit or Miss by Newfound Glory. Well, I want to get into that. And we'll talk about that in a second. But I want to get into the song. But I want to tell you one quick story because okay. I, I don't know if you remember this. So you're playing rem- now hearing loser song. Yes, I'm going okay. to, I'll, I'll introduce it in a second, but I Whoa. remember oh, you man. telling me, folks. I remember you telling me when we were doing Third and Long stuff in uh-huh. Josiah's basement, yeah, yeah, that you had gotten an offer from Pat to come and be in Now Hiring Losers. Mm-hmm. And while I was jealous... And we weren't, like, great friends at that point. We were becoming friends, yeah. but we weren't, like, close, I think, but at that point. If I remember correctly, and maybe I'm being more, na- more magnanimous in my head than I was in real life, I remember being like, no, absolutely go do it. No, yeah, you knew. Yeah, I was that, like, yeah. that was actually that was one of the reasons when we were. I mean, it's all such a murky soup through the time of like when you hang out in high school and stuff yeah. like that. But I do remember that was one of the things. Where I'm like, oh, this is a good guy. He knows. You know what I yeah. mean? You were like, no, nah, listen, man. I totally. I I would go join that band if they would have me. Yeah. You know what I mean? So. Uh, so let's get into maybe the first song that someone ever wrote that I was jealous of, and this is a track by Now Hiring Losers. Wow, which one? I'm excited to see. Called Pick Up the Phone. Oh man. Friends forever Until one of them pushed me 
You have to remember, we were like 16. We had no idea what we were doing in the studio at the time. But uh, shout out to our buddy Pat, because um, you know you're young, you're 16, you can't like fully mm. sing the same way yet. So it's definitely 16 year old kids playing. But he wrote that whole song. He wrote the riffs. He put it together. He put together all the words, the whole thing. What I thought was funny listening to that is, and I think it was the second verse, because the whole song is about like pick up the phone, yeah. I'm trying to call this girl, and I'm so excited yeah. to talk to this girl, which is already dated. But like specifically, he's talking about having to call a girl's house because we were 16. <laughs> We have to call a girl's house and her dad answers the phone. And you're like, oh my God, no. And now you hear that in the song. You're like, what? Why wouldn't you just like hit her up on Snapchat? Chat, I don't yeah, know, something Zoom, like that. Yeah. Is that a thing? But no, that's super um, dated. You know, I don't know if I've ever... I probably told Pat this in our private times mm-hmm. or whatever over the years. I don't remember. We've spent many years together. But it was more than Bill who was the first guy I commiserated with in terms of like finding a person that I could communicate with musically. Mm-hmm. Pat was the first person where I was like, I want to be this guy. Yeah, yeah. I want to be this singer People, in this band. Yes. He, I, though, that was one thing. I mean, from back then, um, especially like at his, at his youngest, I mean, he, Pat, our dear friend Pat has always been a mm. deeply, deeply ambitious guy, right? Pat's always been a hard worker. He's always had a good vision of what he wants, how he's going to get there, where he's going, execute the plan, right? Yeah. And back then, we were young. Like, the rest of us, we were trying to figure out what we were doing, what we like to play. Can we even play these instruments? Rah, rah. He was fully, like, ready at that yeah. point. He knew exactly mm-hmm. what he wanted to be, to sound like, to do. He, I was always impressed. He was one of the first people when I was playing music that showed me that it's important to have a vision outside of just, like, oh, I'm going to play, like, these songs. That there's more... Yeah. To being in a band than just like, oh, I want to play whatever. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, what's interesting about him, too, is I felt like for a long time, because mm-hmm. I sort of wanted to be around you guys. I felt like a poser. I felt like I was sort of following you guys around like that. Mm. Like the little dog that follows the big dog around. What are we going to do today, guys? You know what I mean? Well, also, something I think something that's worth pointing out, because um, mm. it matters when you're that age, yeah. ninth, 10th grade, or whatever it was, you were a year younger than us. That is true. In high school. And which is funny, because you're actually older than me. I think, or we're close. We're, we're close. We're, we're very like close two or three age. months yeah. up. Yeah, we're like two or three months apart. Yeah. But you were a grade younger, and back then, when you're when you're going through the eighth, ninth, tenth grade, that is a huge, you know, varsity JV feeling that you have back then. You know what I mean? And I think that sort of started my sort of quest and overall like absolute desire to find a way to be taken seriously. Mm, like at yeah, that yeah. point in time, I really desperately wanted to be taken 
seriously as somebody in this music scene. For sure. Who had something to offer. At the time, I didn't think I did. Which is also fed into the fact, uh, probably by the fact that certain good friends of the podcast uh, enjoy treating you like a mascot at the time, especially. I'm going to point too many yeah. fingers at too many people, but like certain people would have no problem making you feel like, ah, little brother guy, ah, little hanger on, ah, Robin to my Batman mm. type thing. Yeah. So I think that's probably a part of excess life gives you, you know. Well, we were young, too. I think that's that. So you're all developing. It's that huge soup, and it's every um, weird insecurity, and you're literally like you're going through like puberty, people's yeah. voices are changing, all that kind of shit. Uh, but even then... By the way, before we get too far away from Pick Up the yeah. Phone, shout out to Matt Wilkinson. Matt Wilkinson. Studio Sanchez. You know him from being around, being you've seen Matt yeah. Wilkinson. He was in that band. He played all that lead guitar, yeah. and he shredded. Loved having Matt as lead guitar uh, player in the band. But now hiring... And shout out to Chris Ducharme. Drums. True story. Can't get enough. Uh, North Utica's finest. Now hiring losers, though, did sort of, for me at least, sort of mark a change. Because a lot of that early Jinx stuff for me was really goofy. There's yes. a lot of, like, yes. loser anyway and, like, mm-hmm. stupid sort of, like, mm-hmm. early Blink-182, like, dick jokes and fart jokes and, like, nesticles and balls yes. and things like that. Yes, And I think around that same time I was, like, starting to, like, have girlfriends. Or want to have <laughs> or girlfriends. Or want to have girlfriends. Yeah, 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 desire to have girlfriends. Yeah. yeah, so the desire to sort of be, like, be cool. desirable and cool you suddenly. You want to be cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody's ever picked up a guitar for any other reason um, than they wanted to be cool in the history of the guitar. And somewhere along the way. Because it wasn't in the first band I played in. Uh-huh. Somewhere along the way, I figured out that I could sing. Maybe it was musical theater. Maybe it was drama club. Mm-hmm. But I was a different... Weren't type. you also... Weren't you originally a bass player? Yeah. When you so, played with Bill Brokell, you played bass. That's an interesting point. Now, and that's a good... And I'll, I'll do that one real quick. So I stopped okay. playing guitar. Uh-huh. I got an acoustic guitar for my birthday. I learned how to play When Worlds Collide by Power Man 5000. <laughs> Just the intro. Really? Yeah. Damn. <laughs> and... Uh, so I put the guitar Shout down. Shout out to Pete Forgets. I feel like he'd get a kick out of that. I have it. no context for that whatsoever, <laughs> um, but I feel like he's going to know that track. But I remember like putting the acoustic guitar down and just not really being... I didn't care as much you about had the music that weird. That you had that red telecoustic. I did have it. Those old Fender, right. they would make the so acoustic cool. with like the plastic backing mm-hmm. so it was shaped like a Telecaster. Yeah, that one up in the Like end, it didn't right? sound good or look good no. or it wasn't comfortable to play. No. Real swing no. and a miss from the folks at Fender. But Pat had a Stratocaster, which is very similar, a Stratacoustic, which mm-hmm. is very similar, but looked a little cooler. A little cooler. That, cooler. That was before we realized that Telecasters are in fact cooler than Stratocasters. That is true. <laughs> yes. um, but I think what happened was that thing that happens with a lot of kids who are in bands. I was friends with Bill at the time, my buddy Bill from the band Jinxed, and we were talking about being in a band because we liked Green Day and Blink-182 and Phoenix TX and uh, Newfound Glory and all the stuff that was hot at that time. But everyone played guitar. Yes. Right, like Mike Santoro. Shout out to Mike Santoro. He played guitar. Mm-hmm. And Bill Still does. Played... You know Mike Santoro's got a band? Really? They play shows, right? Originals, full on. I gotta have Mike come on the Mike show. Mike Santoro's thought that shot. I should have. I'll get Mike on next week to do the oral history of this. Come back. No, no, you can't do it. You can't do it. It's a quarantine. That's true. Can't That's a great point. Can't, can't get have. him on. But yeah, he's got a band. They're called. Um, oh, I don't want to get it wrong, so I don't want to say it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're pretty cool. I checked yeah. him out. He's got a cool band with um, uh, my man who works up at Big Apple. Nobody cares about this. Well, well, Mike, we're recording. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, Mike. Well, that was the thing though, because Mike and Bill were both guitar players, and I was also a guitar player. But I was self-aware to the fact that I was like, well, I'm definitely not as good a guitar player as Mike. And I'm mm-hmm. probably as good a guitar player as Bill, but Bill thinks he's a better guitar player than me, and this is a good friendship. So I'm just going to play bass. Yes. Right? That's how it sort of happened. Mm-hmm. Right? And, uh, yeah, that was sort of just the... That was just the first example of me being like, Sam, bite the bullet, fame Auto. Like, oh, mm. someone's got to play bass in this, on this Before band. you realized you could make it into a personal brand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you yeah. were just doing it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I understand. Um, No, but I think that it, now hiring losers, like, looking at what 
you guys were doing and looking at like what Pat was doing and looking at like the songs and the songwriting process. I just really wanted to do that. And also, I think I think a part of it too, and correct me if I'm wrong, but mm. like we when we were that age and we were all becoming yeah. of that age, um, I think we in our band in Now Hang Losers mm. at the time, we had more freedom than you personally mm. had. We were a year older. Um, your mom was just trying to make yeah. sure you weren't falling with the wrong crowd. Being a good mom, you know what I mean? Making sure you're not out too late. You're not, whose car are you getting into? Whose house you're going to? All that different stuff. And I think it was part of a whole, like, we were always hanging out. We were always doing stuff. We were always playing, like, bringing people over to Pat's parents' house, like, late at night to play shows on the weekend when his parents were at camp. You know what I mean? Early good on times. age. Yeah. Uh, actually, the first moment I remember that I feel like was a good moment for me as mm-hmm. a musician, I was playing a show at a church. Uh, in New Hartford. That one in New Hartford. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah the yeah. one on, um, it's right on Genesee um, Street before you get into New Hartford Shopping Center if you yeah. go through the village. Yeah, yeah, that church with all the glass windows there. Yeah. yeah. And you and Pat and a bunch of other people had come to the show. Yeah, we came out to the show. You came out to we the show. We weren't playing on that show, but we came out to that show. And I remember, like, Pat sort of told me that I did a good job. Yeah. Like, he, we weren't good. Bill was not very confident back then. And uh-huh. Mike hadn't totally, le- he had that crazy haircut. Back he was then. always a quiet guy. Yeah, he was very quiet. He used to have, I remember, his hair used to be long and blonde and gelled into direct spikes. Yeah, and yeah. Josiah was younger than everybody else. He was the other guy. He was my drummer at the time, and he was mm-hmm. even younger than... than he was you very guys, yeah, He was like a tenth... Uh, yeah. He was whatever it was. Crazy yeah, like an eighth grader. Um, but I remember, like, well, I gotta do it, because if it's not gonna be me, it's not gonna... It's gotta be me, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, and uh, I always tried really hard back then. I was mm-hmm. really trying to go in 100%. You try. Uh, I've always been a trier. And after... And after you had joined in with Now Hiring Losers, this is a good transition, I think. Oh. This is a good transition. After you had joined in with Now Hiring Losers, and the Jinx thing sort of fell apart because girls, As they if do. I remember correctly. Oh, like yeah? Bill, yeah, Bill had gotten into girls. You and Bill were writing songs for the same girl? I see. We were writing the same song for different girls. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that sort of broke off, and then I had sort of... That's when we got into third and long. That's when I tried to coerce you. But when you went into Now Hiring Losers... You had asked me what I was going to do. And I would kind of, at that point in time, was like, ah, I might be done here. I might, I might, this might be the end for me. Mm-hmm. And you, and you actually pigeon, like you, you were like, you know, I got this friend of mine, this guy, Nick Vesali, which mm-hmm. is the name we'll bring up a lot of times as we go forward. Yeah. He's looking for a guy to sing in his band. He's not happy with his singer. You know, it might not be your style of music. Yeah, they're going to get rid of their singer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But why don't you go down there and try out and just see what you think? Yeah. And you sent me over there to do it. So I went down and I had this interview, essentially this practice session with Nick Vasali. Well, because I'll remember, so like I'll talk through that because these are these so these are like two different worlds for me. Like Nick Vasali and a lot of those people were people I went to Notre Dame with. That's correct. Yeah. Um, and then Pat went to Proctor. You went to Proctor. You guys were more. Pat was a kid I knew from like sort of the neighborhood, mm-hmm. but that was more on my neighborhood side, which was all my public school friends, and then my school friends, which was Vasali, and I'd hang out with both, and then come to introduce everybody as time mm-hmm. comes on. But I remember he was playing, and the kid who was a singer in his band was, like, the worst. He was a terrible singer. He could not play guitar. He was not a great person. He was not super reliable. Uh, they wanted to get rid of him. He was just, like, just just bad. And um, they were looking for somebody, and I knew because I remember that I was friends with you, and you didn't know any of these guys, yeah. but I remember telling him the same thing because the one thing that you had, even from an early time, you were always a better singer than everybody. Mm. Um, and while everybody still had, you know, high, warbly pop-punk vocals, you know what I mean? You had a voice that you could control that had a little bit of a deeper, richer sound to it. You know what I mean? You always had a little bit of a deeper voice for people. And I knew Vasali, who was a big Pearl Jam guy, a big into all sorts of different rock guy. Yeah. I'm like, these two guys together, like this kid can do vocally 
what this kid wants to make. They're both nice guys. This would be a good marriage. Let's. I'll talk about that uh, that in just a second after we go to our next song here. Uh, but let's start with this one. We're going to go a little out of time here because I don't have a good version of Coaster, which would be the, the correct song because that was the song I auditioned mm-hmm. with when I went to show up for... Watch Coaster. me find Coaster. You can find Coaster. Should you, do, wait, week. do you think we should perform Coaster live on the podcast here right now? The acoustic guitar? I mean, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't take very much. Might have to. Um, so let's go to a song called Take the Fall. And I'm going to use this song mm. because Take the Fall was the first time in my career as a musician, as a songwriter, okay. that I remember... Actively being like, I am writing a song for a girl. Specific song for a specific girl. Which was weird and is a bad look. It was also, you know, although you certainly didn't play every instrument and everything, but it was a, if I'm not mistaken, it was a pretty, never a bad look, by the way, to write a song for a girl. It's always good. Always do that. Write songs for your girls. And your guys. Everybody should. should, Write songs for everyone. Everybody should start a band. Don't listen to bands anymore. Start your own band. But, um... This was a song that I think, much like that song Coaster we were talking about, where it arrived from you, if I remember when you wrote it and you were playing with those guys, um, pretty fully formed. Like, you were like, here's how it starts, here's the verses, here's the chorus, here's the structure, and, you know, little touches and adds, maybe changes here and there by people, but sometimes songs will come to you fully formed, especially as a guy who writes lyrics, that's something you have different than me, and other times it'll be a riff that's jammed out and kind of piecemealed in the room with the band. Well, let's check out that track right now. Since Take we got the fall. Here. Take the fall oh, off boy. of our first coercion recorded EP, which we'll get I to. I cannot remember the last time I actually listened to this recorded version of this stuff. Cannot remember this time.
car is leaving Watch this speed up again I'm left behind I wanna spend all the time with you Even if you do spot to note you can sort of tell if you listen close enough if you know me well enough and you've listened to enough blueprint stuff or coercion stuff or know me over the years or kevin as well when mm. it's a song that's like oh that sounds like a song sam wrote take the fall sounds like a song that i wrote it's or got that it? little jangly guitar pick part mm. over the strumming it's got like the very familaro structure i see <laughs> i see it's very true yeah, so that was what was that it was like 2002 so you were probably like 17 mm. you know with that song maybe yeah. turning 18 mm. So I remember the girl you wrote it about. I remember you were 18 when you were dating her, but you were dating her before that too, I think. She asked me to write a song for her. Yeah, I think she did. <laughs> She's I like, how come you haven't written a song about me? Turns well, out, here you go. Turns out she got She like, hated it. She didn't even like rock music. <laughs> She's like, I want you to write me a song. You play it. She's like, this sucks, you suck. Um, you know what was funny about that? serious. <laughs> well, it was funny too, because um, this is... Stuff like I actually struggle today. If like I had to write a love song today, I don't know where you would start. Brooklyn took away your ability to be earnest. You can't be anything other than cloaked in irony. Earnest creeps you out now. You could never write a song about the way you actually felt about something unless it was cloaked in metaphor or the guitars were out of tune and there was no time signature. Yeah, it could, yeah, it could be <laughs> yeah. one or the other. It would have real to be earnest, like, real like abject things like my heart. <laughs> My heart is made of collage. <laughs> and it's just like, all right, <laughs> here we get it. You're hurting, buddy. You see, heart is collage. Heart is collage. Yeah, that's a good track. I'm gonna work on that now. Um, yeah. No, so I remember going to, and this is a great story. And I will, I will remove his name to save him the, him being mentioned in the story. But you would hook me up with Nick Vasali, who was the sort of the head guy playing in a band at the time called Coercion. Yes. Yeah. Not the singer, but definitely the. the the, the boss. main guy, the main guy, yeah. yeah, the guy who, the guy, the genesis of the band, the captain of the team, so to speak. And uh, the band, well, it was Warren Captains. Yeah, that's true. Uh, the band was Nick, uh, our good friend Adam Nolan, who becomes important briefly because he'll be in the band playing bass, but not for too much longer. Yeah, I'll tell, uh, I'll tell you that story. Yeah, in a minute. and then, um, and then uh, our buddy Nick's cousin Kenny. So it was me, Nick. His cousin Kenny and this guy Adam Nolan, who I vaguely knew at the time because we had played T-ball together many, 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 many years earlier. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I walked into this not really wanting to do it. Like you, I did this because you had said like, "Well, Nick's a good guy. You should go over there." And I was like, "Well." And part okay. of and part of that was definitely me being like, "Damn, I'm gonna abandon this kid after I just started playing with him to go play mm. with this other band." So. I walk in. Let me there. let me find him something to do. I won't feel so bad if this kid's got something so, to do with this time. So I walk in there, like the biggest hotshot in the world. Oh yeah. I I thought like I was getting poached. So I walk in there with like 
I didn't even have an instrument. I didn't walk in with anything. I didn't bring anything with me. Yeah, yeah. Right? They just had the other guy. And the other guy in the band who, well, let's just call him Eddie. All right? Sure. Eddie's equipment was all Cousin there. Eddie. Cousin Eddie. So Cousin Eddie's equipment is all down there, and he's the lead singer, right? But he's not there. They're auditioning me in secret. Cousin Eddie doesn't know that he's, so he's, about, to get that he's about to get bounced. So this is all going on in secret. So I go down there, and I go to the basement of Kenny's cousin, uh, Nick's cousin's house, and I show them some of my stuff. I'm like, okay, here's this track Coaster. Here's this track, um, you know, I forget what else I had, sure. had back then. But I think Coaster was the... Coaster was your, yeah. Coaster was my... Coaster was your bread and butter. My bread and butter. Um, and, you know, and, and I could tell immediately, as is not me being a dick, I could tell immediately that Nick was into it. He was like, this guy... Yeah. Nick, Nick, I knew he would be. He knew he was I knew if it. nothing else came out of it that I would connect you to Nick. Yeah. I didn't know if Kenny would stick with it or whatever. Adam literally didn't even play the bass. Yeah. He just had a bass and was Nick's best friend. Mm. That's what I was originally tossed out of that band. Yeah, because you got kicked out. I was supposed to be in that band for not kicked out, but they were like, Nick's like, yeah, I'm starting this band. I got, uh, you know, I got I got my cousin. I got this other dickhead to sing or whatever. And he, I'm a bass player. And then he's like, one day he's like, oh, yeah, I think. Uh, and Adam lived around the corner for him. He was like. Nick is Nick is I would call Nick my best friend like I would call you my best friend mm. like I call you yeah, yeah, yeah. my best friend but Nick and Adam are best best friends yes. the brother still to this day you know tight. what I mean thick as thieves he's like yeah I think Adam's gonna buy a bass so uh yeah I don't really know man <laughs> and I'm like okay cool and I try to pretend I wasn't like I'm like okay well I'll just pretend I'm not hurt and we'll still be friends because in my head I'm like well he can't play he's not gonna learn yeah. we'll see and then I ended up being not hurting losers and I was like ha so I remember that was such a weird time too because. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll get into that in a second. Sure. So after the first session, it goes really well, the first practice session, Nick and Kenny and Adam, the three guys there, essentially, like, asked me, do you want to be in this band? Like, we would love to have you. Mm-hmm. And, me, and me, I'm like, listen, man, I don't know what's going on. I got all these offers from other bands. What an asshole. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm such a jerk. But I was like, but, you know, like, it's pretty cool. This is pretty cool if you guys want to, I, I'm happy to, like, you know, give it a go for a little bit and see how it goes. Yeah. So we go back in for the second band practice. Yeah. Turns out, Nick had never fired Cousin Eddie. So in the middle Mm. of the second band practice, Cousin Eddie shows up to band practice. Mm. He's like, who's this guy? And Nick, instead of... Very much in the Nick Vasily way, it's like, I'm not going to tell him. I just hope it takes care of itself. (laughs) I'll just kind of kick it out there. Go with the flow. To which Nick goes, oh, this is Sam. He's that guy we were telling you about who's going to come in... And do some backup tracks and sing backup on some of our songs. Oh my god, I forgot about that. To which Cousin Eddie goes, hey great, let me show you some of the tracks. So then he kicks us all off the instruments and begins to run through his greatest hits playlist for me. Mm. Which I have to watch, fully like committed to being, oh yeah, this is the one, huh? Edge of Disaster, this is a good track, right? But man, it was... It was one of the most embarrassing, awkward moments of my life. I've never felt worse for anybody than this yeah, poor cousin it. Eddie, who had to be told later on yeah, that, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, hey, listen. Do you think that's what broke him? No. He was always on the edge of disaster, but I think that might have no, been <laughs> that might have been the moment. Um, but yeah, I, and that's sort of how I, I didn't, I wouldn't say I stumbled into it, but I kind of did it just to keep doing something. That's how you ended up there. Yeah, yeah. ended up there. Mm-hmm. I guess the question is, how did you get back in? Because I remember what happened. Essentially, yeah, but Adam never learned how to play the bass. Well, he never. I love Adam, one of the sweetest boys in the world. But like, he just got a bass because like, his buddy Nick was doing sick, it. Though? 
Um, I thought he got sick. Wasn't that the whole point? That could have been a part of it, but he might uh I think that might have been like the catalyst to it, but he might have already been done with it by then, yeah. I think, too. Yeah, I think he was already done with it by then, but like he learned and he was kinda into it, but he just he didn't really care. His heart wasn't in it. You know what I mean? Like he was doing other things, he had other stuff going on. He just he never wanted to do it so bad. Um so yeah, when I was doing that, I was still playing with now hiring losers, and then we went through we're doing some different stuff with like trying to maybe adding some guys, getting some guys out, changing some sound, maybe moving away. Because there were a lot of bands that were really popular at that time that we were listening to. Like that Finch record came out oh, and knocked everybody man. on their ass. And like, yeah. oh, wait a minute. We're screaming and we can have some tech and we can add this in. And even like the, that first Linkin Park record that came out, too, everybody was listening to it. Like, oh, wait, we can get into some different styles. Maybe we want, you know, a second vocalist to like, maybe somebody's like yelling, maybe somebody's playing the keyboards, whatever. Maybe the music should be a little heavier. And as all that was going on, we were kind of wrapping up to a point. I was talking about how dedicated um, our dear, dear friend Pat is, and he's always been a hard worker. He was kicking into, like, I'm going to go be in school. He was getting ready to go to college soon. He always knew the band wasn't really a life forward for him. And that senior year, um, after the band had kind of disbanded, we weren't really getting along with, you know, drummer, guitar player, and just little messes you have as kids. Um, He went and started hanging out with different people and wasn't really playing as much the same way for, like, that senior year, like, maybe that first year of college or whatever. And so we just kind of stopped being a band, and that was the same time where Adam wasn't really playing, and I was still hanging out with Nick all the time. And I was still hanging out with you all the time. I was still over there, you know what I mean? And Nick was just finally, like, he goes, hey, man, you know, I'm sorry that that we went through this whole, this sidebar, this side experiment, you know. You get it, but like you know, we're still friends. Do you want to come be in the band? I'm like, hell yeah, I'll come be in the band. You know what I mean? Like it's not there was never ill will. It's always you know, dear friendship. Like I remember very much wanting that to happen. You were desperate for to get me in that band. You needed a guy. Yeah, I was. Tough. You were floating. You were playing like Lifehouse songs. <laughs> you were out there. <laughs> I think too. You know, it it never felt especially early on. It always felt like a booby prize, and I don't mean that in a. No, no, I hear that. You I mean like not to be reductive of those guys yeah. or that band because it became the main band of your yeah. life, but yeah. like very much at the time. Yeah, early you were on, you kind of you were foisted. I was like, fuck, man, you got like, foisted. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I wasn't especially early on because I was the new guy. Because even though it was weird, because I was the new guy, but I was also the lead singer and was sort of half coming into being like partially one of the songwriters. Do you know what I mean? So. Yeah. I, I had to sort of not step on toes, but I was also not totally aware of the power that I uh, held, at least at that point and in time. And you didn't really, like, know these people. These people are all strangers to you as strangers, well. Like, it yeah. wasn't like you were playing yeah. with kids you went to school with, anything like that. Yeah. Uh, and I do think it took me a long time to sort of feel comfortable in my own skin. And having you there sort Have you of... made it? Because I'm still looking. I mean, at that time, I was more comfortable <laughs> I was probably most comfortable with my skin at like that, like 22. Yeah. I think everybody is at that age. Um, That was just the four of us, though. We didn't get a fifth member for a long time. It was just the four of us initially, right? Mm -hmm. It was just you, me, Nick, and Kenny. Yeah. Uh, The only reason we ever added a fifth member is because Nick was desperate to bring the, not desperate, that's the wrong word, but like a lot of the music he listened to, we we, we all really wanted to do it. Like a lot of stuff that was out there had strings and piano and Mm -hmm. extra noises and sounds that you couldn't really get to. See, one of the things, I. I'm about to, I can tell I'm about to launch off on a tangent no, ahead, about that. So, um, no, it's just one of the things that I think we didn't realize back then, because we're always right, you're writing originals, and you're trying yeah. to come up with original songs, um, but, like, you know, none of us ever really knew how to play our instruments or write songs. Mm. And we were all fine, and, like, we all got by, but, like, power chords are not how you write a song. Power chords are not how you play a song. Even when you listen to a Blink-182 album, you're not hearing power chords. You're in actual chords, you yeah. know what I mean? And, like... Our musical limitations, especially at that time, being like mm. 18, 19 years old, 
in trying to write new songs, I think we looked to the keyboard as another tool or color in the palette to replace the fact yeah. that we're just not writing better stuff on the one guitar in our hands. It was always like, well, this can be the song where we use like the strings, or oh, this can be the song with all oh, the piano here, yeah. or oh, we can do this or that, you know what I mean? But he always wanted to get those extra sounds and tones because a lot of the music he was into, a lot of stuff coming out at that time, all had a lot of that stuff. When I went back to the list of the tracks that were on the Coercion album, and we'll get to the last track that we'll be playing off of the original Coercion album coming up in just a minute, mm. um, a lot of those songs that I look at feel like a young man songwriter stabbing at things that he likes in other places. Like for sure. I, I for sure, look for at sure, the song sure. and I go, like we have a song called Remembrance. I'm like, that's an Incubus song. I'm like, I can tell you right now, when I wrote that song, I was listening to a shitload of Incubus. I can tell by the just the way I'm singing, for sure. the way I'm talking. For sure. And you really wear your influences on your sleeve. For sure. You, don't, you have no idea how to hide them yeah, when you're young. 100%. Yeah. Well, it didn't help because then people were hearing it. Because I remember that song, Remembrance, which I don't think we're going to play, probably. No, no, we won't. But I remember in that song, I remember Nick had that, that guitar line, and it had like kind of that phaser and like that sort of spacey feeling. And that was when like Make Yourself by Incubus was yeah. coming out. And without even doing it, I'm like, what should I play for bass over this? And I started playing the doodle-doodle, and it was like a weird Incubus mm -hmm. line. Not even thinking of Incubus, but because you hear the riff kind of that way and the way you're kind of singing. I'm like, oh, wait a minute, here we go. Uh, there were two tracks, though, from that Coercion era. One is the one that I played during the intro, Jeremiah Tree, which we probably won't. Oh, did you play that during the intro? For this one, at least. For this oh, week, the we White will. Whale Legend. Yeah. The only uh, word is whoa. The only word is whoa. Did you play the whole song? At the beginning? No, 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 no. Oh, okay, just the, just the intro track. Um, just the drop to, before you get to the verse? Just, yeah, just the drop. Um, you didn't want to have to reckon for lyrics that don't make sense? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but this song that we'll play right now. What are we playing? Uh, I would say this was what I considered my first good song. The first good song I ever wrote. First good song I ever felt like I produced. Oh, okay. Uh, and this is a track called Hello There. You, which... how dare you? <laughs> how dare you? What? I didn't write this one? The first song that you wrote? Listen, you wrote, so the song Hello There, I'm glad yeah. you're going to play this, because I remember writing Hello There, and you I remember, yeah, yeah, well, I, I mean, you wrote the lyrics. I never wrote a lyric in my yeah. life. Um, and that was the way it would always go. But Hello There was a song. I got woken up early at my house one day because mm. my dad was having the driveway repaved. Didn't realize it was happening. I woke mm. up like 7.30 yeah. in the morning. I was annoyed. I'm in my bedroom, like a teen, so I'm sleeping late. I was probably out late mm. the night before. So I'm sitting in my room playing guitar. And I came up with the verse, the acoustic guitar that you'll hear in the song, I came up with the verse and the chorus and the bridge all right there. I'm like, this is the song. It was one of those ones where the whole song mm. and the structure came out. And when you listen to the recording, um, I played all the guitars on the record. Mm. And I was really proud of it back then because I wasn't even really, like, yeah. I would consider myself a guitar player now. I'm not, like, a full-on, like, guitar artist, but I can play guitar. I could yeah. be in a band and be a really guitar player. I better guitar try to play than me now at this point. Um, I would, I would thank, you. thank you. Thank um, you. But so, like, but back then it was the first time, like, oh, my God, I'm going to play, like, every single guitar on, you know, I'm, I'm playing the guitar on this. And so uh, now it's, it's four chords. It's super yeah. simple. Um, but I remember being super proud of that and being like, this is the first song. That was the first song when I was in the band. I'm like, oh, this is actually a pretty good song. Because when I came well, on... That's what I mean, I guess. When I came on, I didn't love a lot of the songs the band was playing or had left over yeah. that were like old, early tracks. I'm like, eh, this isn't really... Yeah. You know, I'd come from the Now Hang Loser side of the world, you know what I mean? And I was this was the first song that didn't feel like a floaty acoustic ballad. I was very happy to do it. Uh, so we'll get to, let's, let's get to this track. What was this, Would you call this our first, our first most popular song? Like the, the, the song that we would close the sets with? Was this our set closer? Oh, man, I don't even remember. I think we were closing with weird 
stuff. I'm trying to remember. This the... felt like the first really important thing we wrote. This was the first one that people started singing the words back, and this was the first one that people knew yeah. and that people would ask for and request. Yeah. But I think we went off to the side earlier when we were talking. You were talking about wearing influences on your sleeve. Yeah. Are you going to talk about that before or after this song? Uh, we can talk about it afterwards. Okay. All right, so okay. let's get to the song and we'll okay. back in just a second. Listen this is all my wonderful 17 year old guitar playing and bass playing. That's much more. The shadow in the corner of my room. Yeah, I can see it. Watching as it blooms into the nothing. It's climbing up the walls and into your eyes. And seeping in your thoughts, and I know. That I've gone too far for you to let me come back home this time That I can't subside the pain that I still feel inside And this broken clock on your
sorry. Uh, so there's here's something that I feel like is important as well with this one. This is the first song that I go back to as a songwriter in terms of lyrics, and I go, oh boy. Uh, These yeah. are yeah, 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 some yeah, of the yeah. worst That's fair. That's some fair. of the worst That's lyrics I've ever fair. written. I could see that from your perspective. In hind- like I was telling a story in my head about like this abusive relationship and like these shitty people and like going back to these shitty people. But now in hindsight, I'm like, man, this song is kind of fucked up. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely. Yeah, no, well, especially, especially, definitely, if you don't know like the person and the time. But yeah, you're definitely. I mean, you were talking about like, getting in like real like fights and like yeah. arguing. And just, I mean, and at the time too, like you know, we've all kind of reckoned for or we're working on reckoning for the culture and the misogyny inherent mm. in a lot of the culture yeah. and stuff like that. And back at this time, it was not, you know, it was not abnormal to write harsh songs yeah. about the person you're dating. Yes. And there's a lot of bands I like and, you know, songs I like where they're mm. a lot harsher. Like, they talk about, oh, you broke up with me or something, like, you know, murder or whatever. Yeah. But, like, yeah, this is definitely, I, it's, that's a whole different aspect, too, as a vocalist who has to go back. Because, like, when you pitch this idea to me to talk about, like, these songs yeah. and do these and play these, I'm like, oh, my God. Because it's, like, embarrassing. Like, you're young. Mm. It's all whatever. But I don't have to reckon with being the voice and I don't have to reckon with being the words. And that's an extra layer for you that I've got to imagine is just not reckon like it's some giant thing you're going to go to jail. But like when I think about embarrassing, it's like by proxy. But for you, you know, like I wrote these words and sang these words. So it's just an extra layer. Well, it's something we talked about, I think, in the past. I think it's hard to it's, – it's hard for me to look back objectively on almost anything we've ever done. It's almost hard, it's hard for me to look objectively at any live music show I ever see anywhere almost because I can't help but look at it. From the context of a guy who understands how sounds on a stage are made. For sure. So it's like, okay, I'm watching this, like, oh, well, what kind of gear are they using? What kind of guitar is this? Yeah, I know exactly oh, what you mean. mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think that that ties into it as well. Uh, yeah, it's just tough. Well, you're writing the lyrics. I always felt back then, like, my lyrics were my weakest aspect back then. Like, the lyrics were something that you were always You were always very comfortable to just, like, when we would be playing something in the room, you would start letting melodies fly and saying whatever words, and you're verbose enough that, like, they would rhyme. But you would never go back, generally, with a fine-tooth comb, unless you came in with a song on your own, and then be a little Mm. more concise. Mm. But that's why sometimes, like, when I was teasing you about, like, lyrics that don't make sense, you know, because tons of bands do it, because you write it in the room, you don't really go back and think about this one specific word, because it's more about the melody and the way that it is. Yeah, I was shocked when I went back and listened to some of this stuff, how many... A, lyrics I don't remember that I wrote. Mm. Or B, times I'm like, well, I can't believe I don't remember. I can't believe I would have written that. Do you know what I mean? Like weird yeah, yeah, stuff yeah. that like, I can't 100%. keep myself in the headspace. I think that song, actually, speaking of uh, Hello There, is probably the reason we ended up getting keyboards because we found that, cre- you know, in that second verse, is that yeah. creaky old piano going, do, do, do. Yeah. We found <laughs> piano was in that studio. It was a creaky old piano in a barn, and we just started playing those three notes, and we were like, well, we got to replicate them. This is probably a good time. Also, the first time we ever hit a three-part harmony on record. That's true. That when it was a hello there, how are you? I've missed you. That since you've been gone is a three-part harmony. Yeah, Ask true. about them. Uh, <laughs> it was about this time. It's probably a good time for us to talk about original songs versus cover songs. Oh, great. Right? Okay. At this era, at this time, because this is about 2005. I'm glad. Album. I'm even gladder to have this conversation. We could have done this two years ago. Yeah. We could have done the same podcast because I mean, we haven't played any of yeah. these songs. We've been in this band for... Last show was in 2012, and yeah. we hadn't played a show in three years before that. Um, I'm glad to have this conversation as somebody who plays in a band that does exclusively covers. So were we were we wrong back then to just be so aggressively anti-cover, or were we justified in our in our? I mean, we were justified because people came to the shows. 
Yeah. You bands like The Bomb didn't like us because we outdrew them playing originals. Yeah. So, yeah, that was great. I mean, I wouldn't have wanted to be in that band doing the covers that band would have done. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we did the right thing because it worked. We wanted to make our songs. That's what we wanted to do. I never wanted to be in a band to play covers. And I do that now. Yeah. And I wish, but I will, I will say, because the other side of that coin, like, that's not what's exciting to me about playing music. My most exciting thing is being in the room putting stuff together. Yeah. I'm playing this or if you put something over it, we find this transition, the song starts coming together. Mm-hmm. That magic in the room with the people is why I like playing music. Mm-hmm. It's my favorite part. Um, but with that being said, we definitely could have had a healthier attitude towards covers. Knowing yes. what I know now, if you want to make money, you got to play covers. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to play covers, there's nothing wrong with playing covers. There's nothing wrong with getting paid to play your instrument. Believe mm-hmm. me, a new concept for me in my 30s here. But, like, we could have had more respect for what it does because a lot of the bands, almost every band that we used to make fun of back then for being a cover band is still playing today and yeah. still making money. We used to break balls and be like, oh, fucking Showtime, The Bomb. I mean, The, the Bomb still, like, sucks. But, like, they play their shows from time to time. Yeah. You know what I mean? They do their thing. Showtime. I mean, love those guys. Those guys are still out cranking. Every weekend, it's, like, their only job. You know what I mean? So, can I... what can you really say? But that band wouldn't have been capable of doing enough covers to be good enough to be a cover band. We weren't all individually talented enough. None of us were good enough musicians. We would have been too limited by what we could play. And we would have ended up, like, a K-Rock-ish cover band. Mm. Or we would have ended up doing that thing where you're doing a bunch of covers that nobody knows. Uh, and so you're just playing songs you like, but nobody cares. You might as well play an original at that point. You know what I mean? We are in the transition period here. Um... Between the song Hello There and the next track we're going to play, which is off of our album. Oh, you hit another track? We have two more tracks before we close off. I'm saying you're going to another track right now? Well, no, no, no. But I'm saying we're in that transition period right now in terms of where, how we get here. Because I need to, I guess we need to talk about where Jay shows up. Because I don't remember exactly what point in time Jay Wilhelm, who would become the drummer of note for our band coercion, the Blueprint Going Forward, showed up. Mm -hmm. It was probably after we had written the song Hello There. For sure. Big time. Big time. Big time. So this is probably time. around the right time, because he was here before Good Morning. Which Jay next played... Play. No. no. He wasn't. He wasn't. No. All, half the songs on that record... So you're going to go... That first record we called... I think we should sidebar, by the way. Yeah, um, okay. what Jeremiah Tree and Hello There, and you played what? Take the Fall? Hello There, those, Jeremiah Tree, Take the Fall. Those were off our, uh, an album that we, you know, in quotes, put out um, in like 2003. And that album was called Since You've Been Gone. Yeah. So we should talk about, we probably talked about it on the show, but I remember I came to visit you because you worked at the FYE in the mall. Yeah. And I was in there just because, you know, you're riding the cars, you're doing your shit, and so you stop at the mall, you visit your friends. Oh Our God. buddies worked at the pretzel stand next door, you know, Dano, it's, shout it's, out. it's what you do. So I would be like, oh, yeah. I got nothing to do, I'm driving around, let me stop in, see Sammy, maybe I'll buy a used CD or whatever. Yeah. And we had been working, we had recorded this album, we were putting it out, we had chosen the name Since You've Been Gone, because as you heard in Hello There, it's Hello There, I've Missed You, How Are You, Since, since You've, you've Been, been Gone. gone. Yeah. And it's like the big hook of that chorus. Yeah. And you and me are standing in FYE, and I'll never forget we're standing near the register, just you know, shooting the shit, whatever. And we hear that goddamn Kelly Clarkson song come onto the radio for the first time ever. And the people are like, the new song, new hit from Kelly Clarkson since you've been gone. And we're both just like, wait, no. wait, what? <laughs> wait, what? Because we had sent we had sent the album artwork out, like we had chosen it, we had sent it to print. We were waiting to get it back from disc makers. And we're like, okay, well, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe maybe Since You've Been Gone won't be a big part of this Kelly Clarkson song. Yeah. And it turns out the whole band drops out and she screams it in harmony, Since You've Been Gone. Yeah, that's we're a like, great point. We're like, well, there goes that. That was great, guys. We Every single time we made uh, an album in this band, something happened right as we put it out or right before mm-hmm. we put it out or right when we were putting it out that changed the context and made it worthless to have. Yeah. Every time we did it. Um... 
but uh, not worthless to have, but, but already like, ah, I yeah. wish we could take this back. Don't even want to record it. But so, yeah, we had that, but the next one after that, what do we call that? The second one? That was one? called uh, Life in a Glass House. Life in a Glass House. Um, Life in a Glass House EP recorded at Black Dog Studios, which I'm not even sure still exists. Yeah, yeah. shout out Rochester. to me for sneaking in the title of a Radiohead song as, yeah. our, second, <laughs> as our second EP name. Um, but no, half of the songs on Life in a Glass House were originally written when Kenny was playing drums. That's correct. So when Jay, yeah, when Jay came to the band, there were definitely um, two or three of the songs on that EP that Kenny had played on. I'm trying to think, Kenny playing Good Morning or he play on Just he Like He played Be- Good Morning, for sure. Did he play Just Like Being Alone? Or is that Jay? Because um, those are the next two, and I'm trying to think of what order we should play them in. Well, I mean, Kenny doesn't play on either recording. That's true. By the time we recorded it, Jay was fully in the band, but when we wrote it, definitely Good Morning, maybe Being Alone, I'm not sure. Um, but he, so Kenny was getting out of the band. That's what you were, you were getting towards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kenny get out. Um, so Kenny, there was, it was kind of contentious. Um, me and Kenny specifically were kind of contentious. Um, we just, we're both, we're both kind of stubborn. We both believe what we think, even though I was right and he was wrong. Um, (laughs) very true. But like, we both believe we think he, even more than his cousin, Nick, he wasn't, he played drums because he just played drums. He was never really into being a musician. Kenny's a doctor now. Yeah, he's like Kenny works it. at the he's hospital. Doing he's an great. amazing medical doctor. He's been in to help friends and family. Like when Beautiful I go, wife and kids, when I have to go to the hospital to visit somebody, yeah. like Kenny's a full on doctor. Yeah. And he said back then he was going to do it. So yeah. you know what the hell can we say? Yeah, but he never had. It was just like Junior Soprano says. You know what I mean? He never had the making of wanting to be a full time musician. Guy. No, he had no interest in like, oh, we're gonna go, we're gonna try to go on a little tour for three weeks and go play all over. He's like, no, no, I'm going to college, going to med school. Fuck you guys. You know what I mean? Um, and me and him would argue a lot because he, a lot of the stuff he listened to, like 70s and 80s rock and different stuff, he had no interest in being punk at all. Nothing faster, no. nothing bigger, nothing heavier. And to be, and if he was honest with you today, he would probably tell you he also couldn't play like that. No. At all. At all. like a metronome. You know what I mean? He'd, uh, metronomes keep the same time the whole that's, time. That's a great uh, point. We can edit that out if we need to. But like, <laughs> and he always, him and his dad, who was the nominal sound guy, and by that I mean yeah. he carried the P and pretended to know... Uh, he never liked me much to the point where like he's still not super nice to me when he yeah. sees me. Um, he's nice he, to me when he sees me. He's kind of smart. He liked you, yeah. um, but I was also a lot more smart ass than you were back then. I would kind of tell them to you know, yeah, no, I tell them where to put it back then. But and it was just kind of a thing. We'd go back and forth, and like he didn't think I was that good. I didn't think he was that good. And as a bass player and drummer, it's kind of tough. And he was moving in a different direction anyway. We were like, I think we're really going to shift in the next year with a band thing. And he's like, Ah, this is just something I was doing during high school. I got to go do my thing. And so we went looking, and we found, um, I don't remember how we found Jay, but we knew him from, like, around from people. I don't remember how we found him. Oh, I remember this. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. So this is probably the most one of the worst things I've ever done in my life, Danny. No. No, it's not. But one of, the most, one of the most, like, uh, foot-in-mouth things you've ever done. So the guy who would be the, the next important figure, who I guess is important we talk about in this, is Jay Wilhelm, who would, mm-hmm. the late Jay Wilhelm, who would be our drummer. A drummer of note, drummer of record. Drummer of record. Drummer of, yeah. If we ever somehow got into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Jay's in with us. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. He yeah, would yeah, go yeah. up on the plaque. Yeah. Um, Jay was a really important part of the story going forward. But initially, when I, when I first met Jay, we were playing a show at MVCC. We were playing at, at MBC. Mohawk Valley Community College in the Jorgensen Center, I want to say. And that yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they had a stage set up. We were, yeah. Why the hell were we even playing in there? I don't remember. I don't remember now, but we were playing in there. Uh, but there was a girl there who I was friends with, this girl Joanne Yusick, who was dating mm-hmm. Jay at the time. Jay, who we knew, I knew vaguely, I knew Joanne because I went to high school with yeah. her. And yeah, she yeah, was yeah. friends with the girl I was seeing at the time. Um, 
And this whole thing, we were friendly in high school, and I knew that Jay was a drummer from a different band um, mm. called Stone Soup. Uh, just because, yep. shout out to Scholastic Express, How the magazine. Um, <laughs> they would keep you in the loop about all the mm. local bands. I'm like, oh, who are these guys out on night? You see the pictures, check out some of their music. You have, literally didn't have websites to go listen yeah. to music at this time. Um, and we knew, I knew Jay because everybody knew Jay because he was a young man, even though we didn't know him who was uh, battling cancer at the time. Yeah. Got cancer super young. Ended up, you know, losing his battle. Spoiler alert, that's how the next podcast is going to end. Um, yeah, but, like, or at least that'll be the, you know, penultimate event. But, yeah, he was he was battling cancer at the time. When you have cancer, um, you, you, you know, you lose your hair. You get pale, you lose all your hair. On a side note, there was a, <laughs> there was a band at the time that was very popular. They were they, not. They had a one hit. They had one hit that was popular. One hit, one hit. The Vasali liked. Because yeah. he wanted to sound like them. Was it uh, You know, don't not? pretend. No, because there's two oh, songs. Oh, the song. Yeah, Everything You Want. Everything You song. Want. Everything You Want was the song by Vertical Horizon. Vertical Horizon. And band. all I knew about Vertical Horizon was that the lead singer was bald. Mm-hmm. It's like straight up bald. Not bald because yeah, yeah, yeah. he was sick. Bald is an aesthetic yeah, choice. Shaved head, yeah. Shaved. Bicked. So I'm on stage. Performing. Struggling to make in-between song banter. Bantering. Yeah, yeah. Like, when you talk talking to songs, like, oh, so what's up, guys? That song was called Rah Rah. This next one, we're out here. Glad to be at NBCC tonight. How we doing? To which I shout out. It's like, Joanne, appreciate you. Oh, my friend Joanne in the back. My friend Joanne in the back. And her man, who looks like the lead singer from Vertical Horizon. I like your style. To which Kevin strolls over to me on stage and leans into my ear and goes, that guy's got cancer. And I go, ah! All right, anyway, let's get into this track. Oh, um, man, that was amazing. And he, to his credit, Jay always had a great sense of humor. Great he, sense he, of humor. We would come to find out he'd yeah. always be the first one to hit a cancer joke, you yes. know what I mean? To make, to put other people at ease. I feel like I'd yeah. be the same way probably mm-hmm. if I was in that position. Mm-hmm. Um, but everybody else in the band knew because I remember looking at Kenny and Kenny's like, and Kenny, Kenny looked like he was dead. <laughs> I thought Kenny passed away, and Nick was like weeping, laughing over like behind his aunt, oh, like dying, man. laughing. Ah, so uh, it wasn't too much longer than that mm. that that Kenny left. So well, so it's funny. I, I don't know what you're gonna do, so I don't well, want to step on. You. No, no. The point I was gonna say is I didn't see Jay again until like I met him that night. Afterwards, I apologized. He was very friendly. Yeah, yeah. I did not see him again or meet him again until I went into Nick's basement and he was there. And I was like, oh, you're the new guy. Had his oh, hair. Oh, no. Had his hair when he was Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, we had, I think, well, I, something that I think is funny, um, a funny piece of, you know, kind of a dovetail yeah. is, you know, that happened at NVCC at the Jorgensen yeah. Center. Do you remember, because when Jay joined the band, when we got rid of Kenny and Jay joined the band, mm. we used to practice at Kenny's house. Yeah, we had to go practice. So we had no place to practice. We're like, right. shit, what do we do? We couldn't practice at Nick's house, at your house, mm. at my house. We just we didn't have a space. Mm. We're too young to really think, like, oh, go rent a space. A little bit too young. We weren't really making money, mm. you know what I mean? Like, it just didn't really enter. as like, something we could afford to do. And we ended up practicing our first, like, two or three weeks. Actually, our first probably two months yeah. of practice with Jay was Loading at MVCC. Gear. Loading gear into MVP staircase. Somehow we got hooked ass. up. We were in a classroom... Yep. In the upstairs of that Jorgensen building, yep. I think, mm-hmm. where like the student center is, we had like the music classroom up there. Somehow we got hooked in, and they allowed us to come in after hours and practice. I don't the fir- know how that we was got the away first. That. that was the first in many indications <laughs> of us just being given weird places to practice we, for free. We've already gone longer than I thought we would, so I have a section set up for practice locations that we were going to talk about. Oh, I love it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But it's a nice um, dovetail that you did yeah. that thing with Jay at MV and we yeah. ended up practicing at MV with Jay. Um, so let's go into the second to last track here. This is a track called oh. Good Morning. This is off uh, This is off Life in a Glass House. 
I would say... Well, let's let's go to the track first. Do you not want to give anybody anything before they listen to it? Anything to like... I don't know. Is there something you want to say before they hear well, it or anything? We'll get into it in a second, I guess. Let, let's start with the track first, and then I'll come back through it. Okay, so here's the track. This is off our track, uh, Life in a Glass House. This is recorded in Rochester uh, Big, at Black Dog Studios. Big the Sally song. Big the Sally song. We'll be back in just a second. Wake up. It's beautiful outside. The rain drops. Spilling from the sky, I knew you. You never knew me well, cause when I see you, I feel like I'm an elk. Cause when the sky burns, the shades of browns and reds and empty feelings. These undertones are dead, my bags are packed up. And sitting on the stairs, I don't know where I'm going now.
Okay, so the reason I wanted to play that one first before we talked about because we have two songs from this Rochester thing. Good morning is the the coercion slash blueprint song that I feel like other people wanted the band to sound like. Yes. Like that's the song that the record people in Rochester listen to of all the tracks. Like, well, this is the one. This is the like, one. This, this is the one. And you can tell like that song. That song sounded better than a lot of the other stuff we recorded from well, that record. Well, it sounded more produced. I, I wouldn't say it sounded better, but that song specifically, um, much like a lot of that record, the teeth were kind of cut out on oh it. My God. Like they, that song's got like a guitar solo that they forced Nick to record in like clean. It's like a yep. clean channel with a little bit of like reverb and delay, mm-hmm. and like all this. And they sort of they put there's a lot of orchestra in it. They put a lot of orchestration in there as well. The song was a little bit quicker and a little bit more of a, a little bit more of a bop. I mean, it was still like a hands in the air yeah. song, but it was a little bit more when we would play it live. You know what I mean? It always had a little more juice to it. I was that was the worst recording experience mm-hmm. of my entire life. To this oh, day, lucky you. Like I, I mean, I've recorded in eight tracks, and this is again, kids. This is pre digital era before Garage Band. I recorded in a studio, same studio we did that. Pick up the phone earlier. Now we're yeah. losers, but I did an early, early recording before they even called themselves Coercion. When Cousin Eddie was still the lead singer at that same studio, and the songs were terrible, and the uh, parental enablers who were big fans of the band Mm. at the time were like, no, no, it sounds good. They'll think you did that on purpose. I'm like, no, I didn't know, because I didn't know these songs. I went to the studio like, no, no, you'll figure it out. You know what I mean? You'll figure it out. It's cool. We're just going to play. And like, I'm doing things like I'm off time. Like, I'm like, no, that's off time. I fucked that up. Like, no, no, they'll think it's intentional. I'm like, I can't show this to anybody. I do think that with Good Morning, the track you Mm -hmm. just heard, that's also a good dividing line. The next track you're going to hear later on is Just Like Being Alone, so we'll close with today. Sure. And I think these are actually two good examples of the different things we wanted to do. This is also, this is a primary nice split dichotomy look at uh, Nick Vesalian, look at you. Yeah. As music and songs yep. you came up yep, with. Yep, yep, yep. And because that was something, this was a moment, like when this album, when Jay joined the band, because something that I, I, now that I was thinking about it um, when we were listening to that song, that we kind of glossed when Kenny was in the band because uh, we were talking about covers, we mm. used to play very, very different kinds of shows when Kenny was in the band. Oh, yeah. Because we would play at bars that the cover bands played at, and we'd have to play for three and a half hours, so we would do, like, covers early, yeah. and we'd play any bar. So we played in, like, Plattsburgh and Troy. Speculator and <laughs> Troy and <laughs> all over it. weird little towns. All over. So we played that. some weird shows in some weird places <laughs> with Kenny. There was a different kind of band. That was before, like, the scene was coalescing, so to speak. Um but I just wanted to mention that and not forget that time. That's a great point. But as we're going into this, this was one of, this to me is the last um, of the old style. I would almost say this is the last coercion, coercion song. song. Yeah. This is the last coercion song, Good Morning. After that, it started moving into, you know, might not sound it, any different to anybody besides us, but like it was, yeah. it was a marked difference. No, I think you're totally right. And I think, and there's no official timeline shift mm-hmm. off my head, but I think if Good Morning is the last coercion song. Good Morning is like 2004, 2005, I think. If this is the last coercion song and you want to tell me that Just Like Being Alone is the first blueprint song, that would make sense to me. Good for you. You like that. <laughs> I like that narrative. I think that's a fair narrative. Cool. Um, and, uh, you know, I guess, I guess it's. I think this is probably the first time I ever felt like we could 
not have to do a genre thing. I always felt like we were chasing genre stuff. Like, it was always this aspect of, like, we have to be, like, a punk rock band. We have to be a pop punk band. We have to do this particular sound. Like, just like Being Alone was just, like, let's write a thing that we like, and it's a cool song. Just like Being Alone was like, okay, well, we can't decide what genre we are. We're like Jimmy World. Do we like... Here we are. (laughs) Yeah. Um, No, because we were... it It was always the constant... It was... Not battle, like it was contentious, but yeah. it was always the constant push and pull between different personalities in the band and what we listen to. Because mm. like we get out of band packs, we get out of a show, the exception of ubiquitous albums that everybody's listening to are like big stuff. Yeah. Like you and Nick specifically, and I bridge the line between you guys, like yeah. two of my best friends, when you would get in your car after a show, you were able to listen to wildly different music. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think that was a thing. And with this song, it's interesting to me with all these songs. I was thinking about it because I can remember... Every single one of them, writing them, like, when yeah. they were written. Because a lot of times, I was hanging out with, like, Nick almost every night at his house. Yeah. And we just, all we do is play guitar yeah. and stuff together and show each other ideas. And I remember him playing that opening riff in Good Morning. And I remember coming up with that little, like, you know, yeah. little bouncy bass part. And being down there. And um, shout out to a good friend of the podcast, Doc, who oh. is a co-songwriter of Good Morning. Yes, you might hate to know it. You would hate true. to hear it. He suggested one extra measure, but he was down in Nick's basement playing video games, drinking beers that night, so... <laughs> I, uh, but yeah, definitely. I've never, I've never thought about it that way. I've never crystallized it in my head and said it. But that's the last coercion song. Yeah, last coercion song that made it on the record. A lot mm-hmm. of songs we never recorded that exist. Yeah, a lot that's of true. Songs. I think, and that's the funny part. When I went back and looked at all the tracks we had available mm-hmm. to come down to essentially what it will be, I guess this week and next week would be 10, 11-ish songs if you count Jeremiah Tree, which we didn't play in full. Um, there's so many things I can't believe that we wrote and recorded that I don't remember at all. There's so many songs. Like, there, there's why I went back and looked at, like, some of the tracks on the, the Since You've Been Gone album, that first coercion album. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like, there's tracks on there like Pulse and Waves <laughs> Pulse? And Yo, Blur. Waves. Waves used to be the hit. Waves was the set <laughs> waves closer. Waves was our hit. We jammed out. Oh, I mean, waves was always the big epic set closer. Pulse is literally all just Kevin Ennis, the producer, playing guitar <laughs> over a track we wrote in studio. Like, literally, he's just like, yeah, just let me do this. I'm sick of you guys. Um, yeah, songs like Stutter. Sounds like Stutter. City, City Lights. City Lights. City Lights would have been better if Jay was the drummer for that song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That 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 album suffers a lot from us being very young, especially early on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it all um, does. But like, yeah, that specifically. Did we had we had changed the band's name from Coercion to Blueprint? Should we talk. It's probably a good place to to end before we go into our last track. Is changing the band's name? Yeah, yeah. So we were pushing at that time. Um, we I think. You and me and Jay in a bit, we were pushing. Coercion was a name that the band had because some kid in the lunchroom said it and it yeah. stuck. Your kid wasn't even in the band. Years before, before I was in the band, before you were in the band. Mm. Um, shout out to, I think, I don't remember who it was exactly, so I won't shout anybody out for it. But like somebody in the core squad mm. was like, oh, what about Coercion? They were literally looking up words mm. and spelled it differently with the S instead of the C because it looked better. And it just became a thing that didn't fit, right? Like, the music had changed. What we were doing had changed. We didn't feel cool enough about it. It felt like a silly name. We didn't like to tell people the name of our band. We loved this band. We loved these songs. We didn't want to tell anybody the name of the band. We got caught. You know what I mean? Like, we, it was none of ours. We found ourselves in a position with the band where Nick was the only person in the whole band who was in the band when it had that name. Nobody else liked it. We were caught in, essentially, the sunk cost fallacy. We had played a lot of shows and played as a course. lot yeah, of yeah, shows, yeah, yeah. Like a lot of songs, and played a lot of venues yeah, 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 and recorded yeah, yeah. albums as this band. And it felt counterintuitive for a long time to get rid of the name. But after a while, it's like fuck it. I don't want this name in, like no. associated with me anymore at all. Yeah, yeah. And I've I've actually 
softened on it a bit as I've gotten as older. As you do with all this stuff. Right? Same, like, same reason you're not mad at that girl you wrote Take the Fall about anymore. Oh, you know what I mean? Not that you know of. <laughs> Discuss public. Oh, uh, she's not the one we're mad at. No, um, no that's true. Um, no, it's, it is weird, though. It's, man, what a time to be alive. It's true. <laughs> it's like, look it's back true. and like... So we were trying to find... Go ahead. No, 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 no. I just, I mean... I just remember when this all meant... It felt like it meant so much. It was everything. And I I wonder, it may I'm being just getting sad and poetic as I get older about it. Like, life seems so much different now. Like, life's so much bigger and scarier now when you're older than it is when you're younger, weirdly. You think it's the other way around when you're a kid. Life is like this big, scary thing. You're not aware enough to be scared. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're not really aware enough. And plus, like, you don't have any... No, I mean not to say nobody does because I don't want to be reductive, but so but I'm going to say this mm. and it's hyperbolic, but you know, you know, not anybody, but you don't have any real problems. When yeah, you're 18 years old, true. you're 19 years old. You don't have any real problems, and sure, you've got some real problems, but like it's just not the same. You don't have the same responsibilities, the same stress, and it takes up such a big part. You know, you haven't done all these different things, so it means I mean it means that much to you. Mm. And of course, I mean it was the biggest thing. Like we, you know, getting into it because this was around the time, especially when Jay joined the band, because like Kenny famously wouldn't. Didn't drink, still doesn't drink. Yeah, um, wouldn't really hang. Wouldn't go to parties after the shows. When Jay came into the band, it was already swirling and coalescing. But when Jay joined the band, it was when not just the music scene, but like we, a social scene coalesced around the band. We had a group of. We sat down and really counted it out. A good 22, 25, 30 people that were we could that would be at every party every after party yeah. every show everything we hung out you know mm-hmm. friends uh girlfriends girlfriends friends different people like that they would all come out and hang out you know shout mm-hmm. out to the blonde brick wall you know what i mean up front of the stage the blonde brick wall uh, uh, like, we had a different name that we can't all talk those about girls anymore. who are wonderful young um, moms now you know what all I mean? wonderful shout, young moms shout out to the b squad everybody <laughs> and like but so this was but when jay became because jay was hanging out and jay had to move to utica uh, and he started living with nick immediately and this was when it started to be even if it wasn't a show or we didn't have practice, this, the whole social scene coalesced around what the band was doing. Yeah. And that's when it started to really bloom and blossom into you know, it's everything that we wanted it to, do, to be a little bit. Did we... We can talk about it next week if you want because I think we missed it because Jay wasn't in the band yet. Did we talk about Toronto at all? Montreal? Montreal. Do you mean? Uh, no, we, no, we didn't. Did we play just like being alone in Montreal? No. What do we play for those three folks in Montreal? I don't garbage, know. I think. Garbage. Garbage, I think. Kenny was in the band. Yeah, that's right. Kenny was in the band. So garbage. Well, I it? guess not. Hello there. Hello there. Probably. You know what I mean? Like maybe like. See, I missed my cue for that story. Tree. Well, we. That's the one of the things I knew this would happen as we get talked. Because earlier when you're like, oh, we'll just go this short amount of time. Like number one, there's no chance. No. <laughs> but even as you get out here, you forget things because we could do a whole podcast if we sat down and remembered and our you know old man brains a little bit all the crazy shows we played and weird places we played even just with kenny in the band like we played yeah. that played that hard rock cafe in montreal that we were just talking about all that weird bar where the owner tried to fight me after he didn't want to pay us That's out right. in plattsburgh because oh like you guys aren't playing enough coverage not playing violent femmes i'm not gonna pay you i'm like yo buddy we came up here to plattsburgh Fems. you're for sure gonna pay us and me and him were like into we got into it in the parking lot you know what i mean and like when we played that, remember that weird 4th of July and Speculator in the gazebo? We played Fortunate Son by Credence. Well, we're all wearing bandanas. Let's save that because I actually have a question we didn't let's get say, to. Let's say that's a whole pod. Yeah, we'll do a, a whole places. We'll do a whole bit next week about Listen, lockdown's favorite. not going anywhere, no, so know. this is the show now. Right. So uh, so let's close out with... Uh, oh, we're going to another track. This is the last track. We'll close out here, and then next week we'll okay. pick up with essentially like the big, strong, mm-hmm. blueprint-era run 
that you know we what's, had. You know what's something that I will say about the blueprint and something that always makes me apprehensive to not to show these songs to people. One of the reasons I'm like, yeah, listen to my old band, rah rah. I don't like trot it out. I will say that we never, ever, with the exception of little moments or little little pieces of songs here and there, we never ever properly captured the band in a recording studio. Every song was a minute too long. I, not, that I mean, that's a whole thing because that that was a problem live too. Yeah. Certainly, yeah. every song is too long and all that, but we never captured. There wasn't a single song that we ever captured the energy and the actual feel of the song as we played it live properly in the studio. Yeah, the closest thing we ever came was Harbor, which is about the last thing we and ever recorded. And even still, that was, yeah, that was bits and pieces. That and everything in uh, Wolf from the bridge out. Mm. Except for too many stops on those eights and the yeah. dun, 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 dun. Should have chunked that up a little bit, but I can only do so. I can only do so. I can only bring so much rhythm to the Limpress strumming. There's only so much uh, I can do for the Stromboys. So we <laughs> the will be... Strombolinas, if you will. <laughs> we will pick up, uh, I guess, sort of the, the fun touring sessions and some of our favorite shows, and we'll talk about... Oh, wait, you're playing the song we're not going to come back and talk about? This no, song? this will be it. We're done for two. Okay, we should discuss the song just a little bit then. Um, okay. Just so, be... Yeah, we'll chat this song up before we get into this. will be the last song. And the next week, we'll pick up the sort of the touring session of our going out to the Midwest... And how everything All sort of, of different things in like the that. last yeah, recording yeah, yeah, session yeah, yeah. in Boston. But um, let's stop with Just Like Being Alone, which um, I have to personally say, shout out to the band The All-Star Champs, who mm. uh, I remember seeing a show at Herkimer. We were playing in a battle of the we bands We were playing in, in a Herkimer. battle of the bands at the Herkimer County Fairgrounds for the Herkimer County Fair. Yeah. With our buddies All-Star Champs from Syracuse, who we ended up, we met them at that show. Yeah. That's how we became yep. friends with them. Yep. Remember we went out to see them at uh, Lost Horizon in Syracuse? And they were opening for 30 Seconds to Mars. Jared Leto. Before, like, before right. 30 Seconds to Mars was a thing. Like, the the year <laughs> yeah. they put out Kill and Attack and all yeah, that yeah. stuff. And I remember I'd never heard of them. I'm like, Jared Leto, the actor? What the hell is this? What's going on? We went outside and there were uh, Lord of War, the Jared Leto yeah. Nick Cage movie, flyers all over the cars. And they came out here like a baseball bat. I'm like, is this that actor from a, My So-Called Life? With that? He had a bulletproof vest on. Now, it say. was crazy. That band was never as good as they were when I no, saw them in a little club that, in man. Syracuse. The fuck? We went out to the All-Star Chance <laughs> uh, playing. Uh, All Star Champs. I remember playing the show. We played. They played that Battle of Dance with us, mm-hmm. and they had a guitar riff on a track that I remember I really liked. Yes, it yes, was yes. like some really interesting little guitar riff, and I was like, "Oh, I'm mm-hmm. gonna rip that off." And yeah. uh, essentially, this song started as like a takeoff of one guitar riff. Oh shit! I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, But but I think this song actually outside of that. Me being a ripoff artist, which is something we could have talked about at any point in time during this entire thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this was an interesting song for us that really did sort of like set the table for what the next half of our like music career. Was so it started look like. blending. The, I think this was a time when you started getting. Um, I don't know what the right word is, and I've been saying verbose a lot. Yeah, like just in my personal yeah. life in the last week or two. So I'm going to use it again. But this, you started being a little more denser with your lyrics. You started having a better idea of what you wanted to be, what you wanted to sound like. Mm-hmm. And this was also when we started moving towards some bigger songs and writing songs with a specific idea in mind of we're going to play this live. Yeah. So we started writing with the notion of playing this live and having movement-oriented mm-hmm. parts and big parts and, you know, sort of soaring. Like, yeah. I just, just movement, stuff that would make people want to move and get out there. Mm-hmm. This song is also famous because, in my mind personally, because I remember, I'll never forget, when we recorded this at Black Dog Studios, downtown Rochester, and this song, um, Nick Vesali was was doing his leads. He was doing his yeah. lead guitars. And anybody who's ever been in a recording studio, if you, if you haven't, we'll tell you. What you do is normally you go in, you get set up, 
you do like a scratch track demo of everything mm-hmm. you want to have, and then you go and you record the drums. You get the drums you want. Mm-hmm. Once the drums are down, you go and you do the bass. After the bass is done, you do rhythm guitars, then you do lead guitars, vocals, then you put like little mm-hmm. you know touches in after that. Basically, if lead guitar is being yeah. recorded, that means the drummer and the bass player are done. So we're on lead guitar. So me and Jay are basically out at the studio just hanging out. All of our stuff is on record. We don't have to play bass or guitar again for this entire time we're out there. And we got hammered. We were like 21, 22. Like, you know, so still young enough. And like, I remember we bought a bunch of like, we bought like a bottle of Jack or something. Mm-hmm. We had it in the studio. And we are just like, oh, fuck, let's day drink. We live in Rochester until this record's done. Yeah. So like, here we are. And I remember me and him got hammered in the middle of the day. And Nick was... In like the the mixing room, the control room, yeah. he was going directly into the board and he was recording his guitars. And so he's sitting next to uh, Cal, the engineer. Shout out to Cal, only mm-hmm. honest guy at that studio. Um, and he's recording, and me and Jay are hammered, laying on the floor in the same room, hackling him. Because I just remember every time he would, because like a lot of times you know you miss a note, like oh, let me re-record, let me get a better take, or I fudge that, let me let, let's run it back, let me try it again. And we just be like, oh yeah, bang up job slash way to play that guitar, <laughs> just shouting at him from the floor of the studio. Uh, and I always remember that about this song specifically. Uh, from a lyric standpoint, one thing I always remember about this song is this is one of the first songs, and I talked a lot about wearing your references on your sleeve. I had a thing where I liked to insert references to other songs inside of songs. Little jokes and puns. Yeah. For sure. Just for like sure, Being sure. Alone is a line from a Jimmy World song called Kill. And, yeah, 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 yeah. And also, yeah, this yeah, yeah. song has a lot of imagery that references the song Just Watch the Fireworks by Jimmy World. True, yeah. There was yeah. a lot of, I was definitely listening to Clarity. A lot when this song... Futures had just come out like a year before, too. Yeah, but this song for particular has a lot of Clarity vibes, too. For sure, but yeah, Futures yeah. pushed Clarity yeah, and Jimmy World as a whole back um, up. But this is one of the first songs I remember thinking I could start doing more interesting things lyrically in terms of having little callbacks and little references mm-hmm. and almost like inserting little Easter eggs into the songs, which is something I always liked to do at that era specifically. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. And I think this song, this song always stuck out to me too because when we, after, when Jay was getting sick and he was, you know, leaving and we played yeah. a stretch of shows with his younger brother who was like 16 or 17 at the time. Yeah. But always a better, amazing drummer and like punk came from a different world, different generation than us. This song was always really fun to play with him. Yeah. Because in that middle part that I think is going to be phaser on this track yeah. where it phases out, we would chug it up a little bit and play a dun, 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 dun. Yeah. And get it sort of bouncing while you're yeah, doing that slow true. vocal before that last chorus comes in. Tommy always understood this song really well. Yeah. Uh, all right, so let's get into the track, Just Like Being Alone, and we will... That's let, it for us this week? That'll close it out for us okay. this week. We'll be back next week for, I guess, part two of two, I guess. I think we'll we'll do episode 251 next week. Yeah, 261. Changing format. You never uh, know. Yeah, so this will be fun. If you guys like it, we'll do more stuff. If we'll anybody's talked to Heather, tell her we love her. And no, I have her. been. Shout out to Heather. We miss you. I yeah, love you. Yeah. I'm sorry I haven't texted you back yet today. Shout out to Heather. The fix was in. Uh, yeah, Just Like Being Alone. <laughs> Bye, guys. We'll see you next week.
you go, yeah, it's just like a bee.